I'm always caught off guard when I come back here because after being gone for a while, you come back and you worship and you, you see people worshiping. I, I actually worked in a place that um, worship does not happen. And um, there are places in the world where worship does not occur. And that's why we have missions. Missions are to bring the worth of Jesus, as Stephen says, uh, to people who don't know the truth. Um, a few weeks ago, when Justin asked me to speak, uh, I knew pretty quick that I was going to speak about discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, pretty much has been the preoccupation of our conversations over the last couple of years. Um, he and I uh, stay in pretty close contact, even though I'm uh, working uh, overseas. And uh, over the last couple of years, I have been greatly influenced by um, a teacher, a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. Uh, if you've never read any of Dallas Willard's books, let me just tell you, they are life-changing, but they are very dense. They're hard to get. It's not a page turner, okay? So um, Willard, more than anyone else in my, I guess, study history, um, has been able to put clear language uh, to the connection between understanding who Jesus is and how we become like Jesus is. Um, discipleship, the word disciple, um, has a lot of meaning and connotation depending on your church background. I come from a Baptist background. And when I was a little kid, we called it training union. Um, I don't think you've got to be old to remember training union. But training union, I went to church in a little uh, town called Demopolis. And following Jesus meant crossword puzzles and, and cookies to me. That's what it meant. Um, I associated yeah, at Sunday night church. Uh, you were, um, you know, I mean, the, the people who wanted to be a disciple were actually, you know, those people who came on Sunday night. Nobody said that. But that was kind of the connotation. And depending on our church background, you may have a different experience with it. As I came to faith as an adult, um, we felt like, um, and, and, and as leaders in the church, that people needed more information, more Bible study, uh, maybe more instruction. That's our problem. People are not like Jesus. We would get these, these, uh, I don't know, the Barna surveys, where you would you would read the survey about people who claimed to be evangelicals or followers of Jesus, but their lives were essentially no different than anyone else. You, you know what I'm talking about. Our divorce rate was about the same. Um, we, we still had the problems with addiction, pornography, all of those things kind of across the board were no different between those who said that they were following Jesus and those who said, I don't care anything about Christianity, it's a bunch of bunk. Our lives didn't seem to be any different. So the solution for us was to say, get more information in front of people. The problem is, is that information doesn't change lives. That's right. It's not that we weren't doing something. Hear me, the things that I'm going to talk about really relate to what we do, okay? I mean, I even call this thing, what in the world do we do? That's what I titled this thing. What do we do? And hear me before I get going. We can do nothing without Christ. He's the vine, right? Yeah. We, we, we don't initiate anything like we've got this agenda. You're in a place, and this is what's kind of quirky about this place, and I think it's a unique place, that we are in a place that we simply say, Lord Jesus, we don't have an agenda. We want your agenda. Right. Teach us how you want us to live. Teach us how it is to follow. Teach us how you can set us free. Mm. 
So many times we, 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 we compartmentalize this Christianity or this Christian walk to a point where we say, okay, I've got the correct information. Now I'm going to sit here and God, you just zap me with whatever you need. Zap me up. I'm ready. And I think that may happen in some people's lives. For the most part, we present a message that is so true. Praise God. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He, he, he died. Only by faith in his blood can you be righteous enough to be in the presence of God. Praise God. But the way we present that is that somehow Jesus is this simply, you know, like a death benefit. He's only good when you're dead. The problem is we're not dead yet, right? We're going to know what to do. Yeah. How do we live this life day in, day out, following Jesus, exalting him, bringing him worth? What do we physically do? I intend not to use church sayings. I may slip into it. I'm just about as bad as they come. All right? I, don't, I don't want to. I want to be very clear. I have been working in an environment where explicit instructions are vital. And I don't think Jesus was unclear when he came and called his first disciples. I think it was very clear. I don't think the average person who comes in church actually believes that it is possible to be possible to become like Christ. Like we, we say that we're going to be like Jesus, but we don't really believe enough to rearrange our life to begin to do what he said. And I think that's the key. To be a disciple is to be a follower. I wrote the definition of a disciple down. I got this off Google. It's probably correct. <laughs> this is a secular definition. It says discipleship. And this is the, the definition um, of Dr. Google. A disciple has been shown to be someone who follows the teachings, life, and aim of another until the person becomes like the master. So to be a disciple is to be an apprentice of a master. We learn from Jesus. Praise God. Yes, he's God himself. Amen. But we interact, we mingle our lives with this invisible Savior day in, day out through a process of discipleship. That's it. It says right here, uh, discipleship in the Christian sense is the process of making someone become like Christ. The disciple of Christ is to become like Christ in everything. This is a difficult way for us to teach. Most of the time, if you've been here very long, we teach or preach expository messages. We take a, a, a short passage and we unpack it. We look and say, okay, what was the Holy Spirit teaching that original audience? And then we say, Lord Jesus, we put the scripture above us and say, teach us how this implies into our life. Yeah. The message of the passage drives the message of the term. This is a little different. We're taking the topic of discipleship. And so I'm going to have to hit a couple of small areas. I'm no, by no way opening up each one of these passages and, and preaching them for everything that they're worth. But I think it's important if we've all come from different backgrounds, different exposures in our life of what following Jesus looks like, whether it's from a conservative background or even from a liberal background, 
I think it's important to say, what does Jesus say? How does he say follow? And so I just took three passages. One is a passage when Jesus met his first disciples. What he called them to do. Second passage, somewhere in the middle of his, of his ministries from Matthew chapter 11. When things began to get tough. When the wheels were rolling off in ministry. And people were beginning to squirm a little bit. Is this guy for real or not? Some people here today want to feel that peace or that, that soul rest that Jesus promises those disciples in Matthew 11. And the last one is, what did Jesus tell his disciples? And I'm using that word disciples intentionally. He's always speaking to a group. The work that we do here is initiated and controlled by the Spirit of God, but it is done in fellowship. It's done in community. We learn to love in community. Sometimes we say, well, it's a lot easier just to be alone. Lock that garage door. The defining mark of a disciple is what? Love for one another. You're going to get to love, learn to love people like me. They'll come in here like a stray cat. You'll be here for six months. <laughs> You're going to be in community with people who are know-it-alls. They are know-it-alls. You've gone through something terrible, horrible, life-altering experience, and they'll have something, well, God has a plan for that, I know. <laughs> and God is going to teach you that this person is doing the best they can. So teach how to love people. Through his spirit. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Chapter 4. This is the initial get to know you meeting between Jesus and his first disciples. Now let me stop. Jesus has with his first disciples. 
Jesus has moved to Capernaum. He's not new in town. He's been there a while. And Jesus shows up to the banks of the Sea of Galilee and he sees some guys fishing. And here's what happens. He says, um, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, uh, he saw two, brother, two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the, boat with, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Read one more verse in verse, chapter, I mean, uh, verse 23. And, and verse 23 says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This is the invitation. This is a real invitation that Jesus gave to the man that he came upon right here. This invitation to these disciples is the same invitation he gives to every one of us. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you read John the Baptist's message, uh, 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 sermon in chapter 3, John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is the presence of Jesus himself. Heaven has come close. Heaven has come down. God himself is available to the average, everyday person. That is the scandal of Christianity. Hebrew scholar Ray Babylon says, when Jesus came upon these men, this is not an a, a, a ordinary rabbi encounter that we see here. Rabbis of that day were uh, men who were like walking universities. When they came around into a village or a neighborhood, they were known and famous for how they interpreted scripture and how it applied to life. People knew them very well. And Jesus was unusual because why? He taught as one who has authority. We don't know. Scripture does not tell us how well John and Peter knew Jesus. But when he showed up and said, hey, follow me, they dropped everything to follow they left everything. Peter was even married. Wonder how that went over. <laughs> they left everything to follow Jesus. And I have heard sermons, and I think well meaning that they went on this evangelistic, we get to, we get to fish for men. I don't personally think that they left everything to go with some metaphorical fishing trip. I don't see how they left their own way of living to take off and go somewhere. No, I think these men saw something in Jesus that you and I have not been taught to see. We see Jesus as some sort of uh, uh, remission of sin system to get to where we need to be when we go to heaven. Dallas Woodard talks about a story of a little girl who said, when she was asked, what, what is the definition of eternal life? And she said, eternal life is something you get when you're dead, whether you want it or not. <laughs> But Jesus says, no, eternal life. In John chapter 17, 3, he says, eternal life is that they know you, Father, the one true God, Jesus Christ, his son. How do we get to know this Jesus? They had the man there, right? What do we do? What are we going to do? How do we get to know this invisible Savior? Well, I think we need to look at the scripture. I think we need to look and see what these guys did. 
These men rearranged everything in their life to prioritize being with Jesus. That's what they did. I don't think we really think that that's practical or even needed. We don't see Jesus as the most amazing person that we have ever seen. In that day and time, when a, a, a rabbi came up and said, hey, follow me, that was extremely unusual because most of the time you had to audition to be with a rabbi. Disciples actually were kids, young people, who came up and they were very, very smart. There were those smart kids that parents would bring up and say, this little young man wants to be a disciple. And he would audition or try out for a, uh, for a rabbi. Like a kid was like a 37 on the ACT, right? He was just really smart. 36 was the highest, right? I can't remember. He was really smart. And a lot of times the kid didn't make it. And the rabbi would say, son, it's no shame in not making it. You're not disciple material. Go home and get a job with your mom or dad. It's okay. Who does Jesus come to? He comes to men who are making a living with their dad. He came to men who are not disciple material. He came to them. They didn't have to come to him. He chose them. How many times do we see in Scripture Jesus tells us, does it remind us, I chose you. Ladies and gentlemen, he calls you and I. The reason they followed him was not to do on submission. They followed him because they were going to be associated with the most amazing person they had ever heard of in their life. Jesus offers his identity to them. You get to be associated with me. You get to learn from me. That was the opportunity that they fought, that they took. We don't understand the discipleship relationship. I, I started thinking about this. I got all kind of ways to describe it in my life. It's happened. This hit me the other day because I, I, I'm not, I have been away from it so long. In this state, who do you think of? I mean, if you're in sports and you're in football and, and roll tide, <laughs> right? Get out there. Well, what if Nick Saban came up to a young high school football coach and said, hey, man, come on. I want you down here. You're going to be my guy. And you just hang out. Me and Miss Terry down there. What if he came up to you? Boy, what if he, you'd be name dropping? You know it. I was talking to Nick the other day. <laughs> You admire what the guy has to offer. That's why. I mean, if you're a coach in this whole world, you're going to, you're going to, your, your, your ticket is written because you worked under this guy who has a winning football team. Until you admire how Jesus is, you will never follow him. Oh, that's good. You, you won't. See, you know who he is, and in your mind, he's like this white guy with long hair, and he's a lamb of God. Okay, praise God. But you don't trust him with your money. You don't trust him with your marriage. You don't trust him with your kids. Because you don't see him as adequate to take care of it. Wow. Nobody's ever told you that the guy's the most amazing person in the whole world that's ever walked. The most radical warrior in any kind of, you know, Navy SEAL. He can call down legions and wipe out the earth. He spoke and the world came into existence. He touches lepers. Instead of him becoming unclean, they become clean. Heaven came down. You see, these people saw him as valuable. They saw him as a treasure beyond all measure. Right. They could say we'd sell everything. He was worthy of their life. They saw him that way. And nobody's ever told us this. You see, 
if I was really good at this, and I'm not, I can, I can, I can motivate you, and you take off and follow me, but I have to come back next week and do it again. Or I can make you feel real guilty. Make you do the things you ought to do. Neither be doing this. And you'd feel guilty for a while. And you, you'd straighten up that, right? But who you are as a person would never change. See, the, the Pharisees were really good at adjusting their behavior. Jesus says their hearts are far from me. You and I have to be with this man enough to learn from him. Right. Yeah. You can't. You can't just walk around and hope to be zapped. It's going to take time. Your behavior can change in a moment. That's wonderful. I'm glad you didn't kill nobody today. Wonderful. You didn't do it. But did you wish you'd kill? Somebody killed them, right? They pulled out in traffic. Well, maybe they'll just get killed, I guess. What I'm saying is, until you admire Jesus for how he is, do you not want to be so free from the opinion of others that you don't give a rip what anybody says? Do you not want to be so free from anxiety that you're not just worried about every provision in your life? He can teach us. It won't happen tomorrow. We're still going to be trying to figure it out. But we learn. We train. We don't try to be like him. We learn from him. That's what, that's what the, the disciple does. That's what the student does. He comes at Christ with the attitude of a student. What is your attitude toward him? This Savior. I would propose he calls us as disciples, learners, students, apprentice of the Master. This is good for everybody. I don't care if you've been a Christian 30 years. I want to remind you <laughs> Jesus said, Go make disciples, not Christians. Yeah. He, he said, he didn't even tell you to baptize Christians. He said, baptize, make disciples, then baptize the disciples. We're to make students, admirers of this Savior. Jesus will draw them to himself if we lift him up. Right. If our lives are so radically transformed that we become unreasonably loving, what will your family say? What will your marriage do? Mm. If a husband has the preoccupation to be nothing but like Christ, he's... he's, he's He's spending time rearranging his world where he can listen to the Holy Spirit that he will be affected by his words. And the wife is doing the same. And it's all they want to be is free as Jesus. That's all they see him as, man. He's just, he's everything to them. What happens then is, you know what? Their marriage straightens up. He's got two people that will prioritize the other person. Your behavior take care of yourself. You become like Jesus, all right? I ain't got to worry about what you give. You become a generous person. Yeah. Right? I don't have to guilt you into nothing. I have to knock you out of the way, keep you from giving, serving. We go through this effort. Oh, I got to do this. Yeah, I got to. You know, Jesus says the cost of discipleship. Yes, there's a cost of discipleship. It means giving up, being controlled by hatred, lust, anger, contempt. It's giving up a lot of that. And it won't happen overnight. I wish he would zap you and me, but he won't. We're going to learn. We're going to train. We're not going to try. We're going to spend time with him and learn to do it. i got to move quick because I'm dragging around. All y'all want members, be excited.
disciples are pulled, not pushed. You're not going to guilt people to go towards Jesus. They train. They don't try. When I, when I was a... I got a good one. I'll tell another long story. The instruction. The instruction. Matthew 11, 25 through 30. Matthew 11, 25 through 30, he says... Uh, if I haven't pulled up. I thank you, Father, for you hid these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. All things have been handed to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those whom He chooses to reveal Him to come to me. All who labor. How weary. And I'll give you rest. Learn from me. For my yoke is easy. Your burden is light. You'll find rest for your soul. Guys, Jesus was talking to a crowd. Who were being crushed by religion, trying to do the things mm. that the Pharisees and the scribes had directed. Large groups of people were starting to catch some flack over this Jesus who was saying some things. The way of the world were pressing. Jesus said, No, the kingdom of heaven, the availability of God Himself has come near. That's what it means to enter his kingdom. Do you know you have a kingdom? Y'all know you have a kingdom. Everybody has a kingdom. If you don't think so, let me find your pocketbook and go through it. See what's in it. I go to your house, video, put it up on Facebook. Just start rummaging through your stuff. That's your kingdom. Maybe that's fine. It's what we call personhood. We all have a kingdom. That's what we have reign and rule over. And God says, great, you have a kingdom. But God says, I have a kingdom. And my kingdom is available to you. It's, a, it's an offer. It's that invitation. You get to enter the kingdom of God. You get to be in the presence of the most awesome person that we've ever heard about. And you get to learn from him how to live life. And yes, you'll be with him when you're dead. You've gotten to know him. He's your friend. He's going to fix a place for us. If he wouldn't do it, he'd have told us. When we see him... Face to face, it's just a bonus. Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. There's nothing, you, you can't even transition to that. He's with Jesus so much, that's totally free. He's finally getting to see him, that's totally free. I got lost on something like that. Look, as far as this kingdom goes, it's an invitation. We're drawn to it by his back. And we do that mentally and spiritually. Last night, uh, we had a, a birthday party for our two-year-old granddaughter. And um, Tina bought this magnificent play stove for her. It was the most magnificent play stove we'd ever seen. And we, we put it together and got it out. And while she was having the time of her life playing with the paper, 
Her older sister took that magnificent stove to the bedroom. And I had eaten so much cake and stuff, I was sleeping. I went back there. When I got back there, the little four-year-old was playing with that thing. And she said, Papa, go in there. I don't, I don't want you in there. I said, I'm sleepy. I'm I want to lay here and watch you play. No, Papa. She was hiding from me. Her, her little anxiety was building up. Her worry was building up that I was somehow. She knew she'd taken her sister's stove, right? The birthday girl. And she was worried that her little kingdom could be held together. Kingdom management is very, very difficult. When my kids were little, I used to see people running down trying to make sure their kids were on the right team, the right games, the right stuff. It's exhausting. Making sure, making sure you got, you know, everything put in line. It's the way you have. Kingdom management is difficult. And Jesus says, you know, if you just come into my kingdom, I'll give you rest. I'll have it. This is learned from me. How to do this life. He said, I'm too busy. I can't do all of those things. I'm just, I'm just really, really busy. Be busy with Jesus. It's okay. It's okay. Jesus was busy. He was never in a hurry. He can teach you how to live that way. Hurry is a condition of the soul. See, he invites you and I to walk with him on a daily basis. He invites us into his kingdom. If you can see it, you can live it. Ladies and gentlemen, if God has opened your eyes to the fact that Jesus is Messiah, this is available to you and I. Rest for your soul is available. You can live it. It's not done on your strength. It's not done on your power. It's done in interaction with him. Why? What do you mean? How do you do it? This invisible. Nobody's seen Jesus in 2,000 years. I mean, y'all may have, but I have. How do you do it with an invisible Savior? It begins, the baby steps of discipleship begins with an honest conversation with this Jesus. You speak to him with your words and thoughts. He speaks to you with your thoughts, ideas, and scripture. And you spend an exorbitant amount of time doing and living like he lived. It looks like to me he stole away many times to be by himself to connect with his father. He did a lot of things in the gospel, but he spent a lot of time slipping away to be with his heavenly father. If Jesus did that, do you think you need to do that? You're his disciple. He's teaching us how to live. It looks like to me he spent a lot of time in silence. It looks like to me he spent a lot of time in solitude and serving. I don't have time to serve us. We're just too busy. Yes. Take that to him. Take your busyness to him. Your day in, day out, day out life. It took a long time for me to begin, the baby steps, really begin to pray. I've been a follower the best I knew how for 20-something years. But I'm going to tell you what clicked for me, and this may help you. My mind drifts almost immediately when I begin to pray. I can't seem to focus on the conversation. It's like almost like I'm thinking, God, you're not there, so I'm talking to myself, and then I think about it, i got to get this done. What I learned was, take what you've got to get done to him. Take, how you, take your drift to him. 
and look. It's not always going to work. A lot of times people would go find, Jesus would slip off, and his disciples say, your cell phone's off, nobody can find you. What are you doing? <laughs> very active. Sleeping, very active. You sleep in the bottom of the boat while the thing's going. What's wrong with you? And he, he didn't say, well, I'm, I mean, he, he got back to work. The other night we kept our granddaughter who had some sort of sickness in the strap or something. I've never seen that much throw up coming out of a small person. We didn't get a lot of Bible study going on then, right? It wasn't going to happen. A lot of washing, gnashing of teeth. But the kingdom of heaven is available. Praise God for the immune system. This little baby could get well. Praise God for everybody. Praise God we, we're in a hospital place where you can get medicine. Praise God. You can begin to have this heart of gratitude. The discipline of celebration. It looks like to me we need to learn from Jesus how to party sometimes. Yeah. I mean, really, celebration was a big deal for Jesus. Celebrate. We don't celebrate just random, but we celebrate the goodness of God. Celebration, the practice of doing it in a disciplined way. Hey, we're going to do this because we remember how good God is. That's what celebration is for. Now, if you're made in a certain way, like, you know, the two sisters, I always think, Mary, if you make like Mary, she was like, hey, yeah, let's have a party. And her sister, Martha, who's going to clean up this mess? So it may be that some people need celebration more than others. It's not a cookbook. It is a venture on learning from Jesus. It begins with prayer. It begins with arranging your life to prioritize getting to know Jesus. Matthew 7, 21. I probably say it every time I stand up here. 7, 21 is probably the most straightforward thing that Jesus ever told anybody. He said, many will tell me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we done great works in your name? Cast out demons in your name. And I will tell them, Jesus says, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. Where are you from? Wouldn't it make sense if Jesus is that plain that we arrange our lives to get to know the God? Yeah. I know we're busy. I know the world is changing quicker than we can shout it's changing. But if we can look at how Jesus lived and begin to say, Lord Jesus, teach me. Teach me what it is to have peace. Teach me how to do it. I don't think it'll happen overnight. It might, you might be one of those that get zapped. I don't know. But I think it'll happen over time. I know he can do it in my life. I'm counting on it. Jesus is the process. Trust the process. Another saving quote right there. The way you learn from invisible teachers is, first of all, acknowledge that God exists in the invisible, but he moves the visible at will. You can't measure it. You can't, you can't calculate it. But when your eyes open up in the morning, he says, pursue the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom with a sense of urgency. Like you've lost your car key and you're late for me. We seek the kingdom. Lord Jesus, where is your kingdom? I want to enter into your peace, into your rest as I go through this crazy day. As I handle these kids the best that I know how. I gotta hurry. Last thing. The mission. This is a very familiar passage. You guys know it as the Great Commission. 
Matthew 28. Jesus says this. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 22. And Jesus came. This is after the resurrection, right? Jesus had been crucified. It's the last thing he told his disciples. He came and said, okay, well, this, this is what you do. Go and make disciples. That was the last thing he said. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always. The order in which he tells these guys what to do is specific. First of all, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Guys, everything is generated by the Spirit of God. It's not by you or I. It is by His grace. We get up and move by God's grace. Yeah. We breathe His air by the grace of God. Yeah. You think you're sucking in air? It's rushing in your lungs. It's His atmosphere that forces it in. If you don't believe me, go to the top of Mount Everest and try to take a breath. It's his world. He invites us to be in it. And yes, praise God, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But it is in Christ alone. This man, Jesus, is everything. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, what he's saying is, can y'all think of anything else? That covers the universe. I drive the ship. I know what I'm doing. This is a God mission. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, some translations will say, as you go, make disciples. And I don't, I don't know Greek enough. I haven't unpacked that particular verbiage. But it fits in my mind of this, of this mindset of having you know, eternal living instead of focused on eternal life, something that happens after we're dead. As you go, make disciples. What that makes, uh, what that means is, as Dallas Willard says, is that that makes almost making disciples a side effect of your life. It makes making disciples something that happens organically out of your life because you have encountered the greatest thing you have ever seen in your life. You have no problem telling somebody about a great movie or a great steak. But somehow we, we get fidgety when we, we got to, we, we've made witnessing almost kind of like bothering people or something. I mean, it's almost like, you ever been sitting by somebody, and I do this, and this is just me from my background, because I start getting fidgety. I wonder if they're going to hell. I wonder if they're going to hell. Better say something. Better say something. Instead of just having things move from God out, which is always through love, that I see this person as an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That they have a glory, they have a history, they have pain in their life. You see, instead of, instead of having this program of yelling at them, have you accepted Jesus? 
I began to see them the way Christ is because he's in me. He's around me. I'm in his kingdom. I began to say, you know, this guy probably needs what I've experienced, which is peace, soul rest. And it flows from our lives. We've pounded good doctrine, and praise God for good doctrine. But I really think we have taught it to our young people so much in such a way that we tell them, you've got to believe this whether you believe it or not. We haven't taught them to experience who this Jesus is because we haven't. As you go, make disciples. As we go, we begin the process of loving people. That's what happens here. That's what this is. This is a gathering of disciples. People who have learned from Jesus and his manner of life. We're learning to love each other. We're learning, we're learning what, it, what it means to, as Paul says in Philippians, to prioritize others more important than ourselves. We learn. And we come together, and the gathering becomes this kind of interaction of discipleship talk. This is what has happened. The gathering keeps us doctrinally sound. It keeps us from going off and saying, well, God's told me to jump off the building, you know. It keeps us connected to the Spirit of God. It's the body that Jesus died for. He died for the church. This is the church. As you go, make disciples. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've always said that before I baptize someone, and I think it's important to say that. I think it's a literal saying, but it not only means that, it means to immerse them in the Trinitarian fellowship, as Dallas Willard says. That means bring them into community with you and surround them with the truth of who Christ is. That's what it means. When someone gets baptized here, we're saying this is part of our family. We, we're a part of learning from them, God in them, and we're a part of teaching all of us. We use our gifts to do that. We build the body up that way. And Jesus promises, I'll be with you always. And now that's a good promise. That's a good promise. And it's not contingent on you being some sort of superhuman Christian. It just means he's not going to leave you, right? You're already with him. I understand, man. It's difficult to think how, how do we connect to this invisible God, but it happens through prayer. God exists, and he exists in the invisible, but he moves the visible at will. Jesus Christ. Confidence in Jesus is the only way you're ever going to have true peace. I don't believe it. If there were a better way, Jesus would have told you. And Jesus says, no, come to me and I'll give you rest. So that's what we, Justin and I have talked about this, the leaders have talked about it. That's what we are supposed to do. If we don't die, we're, 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 we're going to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples. That's kind of what everything is directed to. It's, that's, that's, that's not a hidden agenda. That's just what we're about. That's who we are. And we're okay with a good system, but we're okay with just learning from Jesus. We're okay with that. We're open to that. We're open to someone being connected and, 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 and do it in a way that we can launch you out and go do it. That's good too. So that's what we're going to do. But the question is, what are you going to do? Really? 
Really? Because that's where the skin, you get some skin in the game, right? You, you know, because it's all about the church and stuff. That's kind of general. It's this fog of Christianity you can kind of blow off, right? I know what it's like that. It's time for lunch. So I ask you, what is it you're going to do? I would encourage you. I would encourage you to have confidence in Jesus in everything in your life. Rearrange things to where you begin to learn from Jesus and his manner of life. You do that through prayer. You do that through following his manner of life. You can learn these disciplines. Therefore, disciplines are not legalistic. Disciplines are adventure into being in the kingdom of God.